0: I like to try to think about what are those things you wanna influence and bring to life that'll help your organization or your city or your charity um, meet its objectives. And when I say objectives, I mean more like game-changing results. That really excites me. Um, Being able to leave something better than you found it is kind of what inspires me, what keeps me going. And so that's what it's all about for me. And I love doing that with people and just learning and, and experiencing different people and the approach that they take to
1: things. Hello and a warm collision's YYC. It's very special and I say that often, but this is our 300th episode and I'm very excited for my guest today, Miss Jenna Mosley, president of NMax Power. How are you doing, Jenna? I'm doing great. How are you? I am so good. Thank you so much for coming on. And I, I joked about this off air, but I'm going to say it. I've had a bit of a um, of, of a crush on you. And I say that very platonically. That sounds really terrible saying that out loud. But I saw you speak back in the spring, back in April, which I think was one of the first or certainly one of the big post-COVID events in Calgary, the Calgary Influential Women in Business Awards. And I was super impressed. And it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, I got to get that person on the podcast. So I want to really thank you. I reached out to your team and you know, one degree of separation. It, it is Calgary, Alberta, one degree and somebody knows somebody. But thank you so much for willing to come on because I know I can only imagine how busy your 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 calendar is So, thank you so much for fitting me in So that's my weird awkward entry into just really wanted to this was very personal And i'm really glad you were able to join me for episode 300
0: Well, thanks for having me i've been looking forward to doing this and uh, it's
1: great to get to know you I pre oh so nice. Thank you very much I love having good guests on. It makes my, makes my job so fun. <laughs> Let's dive right into it. I got corrected by one of your team and I think it was important because I never want to assume anybody knows and your team was very, very kind with me. Say, Tyler, just want to be clear. This is NMAX power. There's different... And then they sent me a slide. So I think I want to set the foundation because it's so easy to go, oh, NMAX, I know who they are. Oh, yeah, yeah I, know, I know what they're about. I see the bill. I see the, I see the big logo <laughs> around town. But maybe give us a little bit of the... Give us like what's the structure, what's the format, and then we'll kind of unpack it from there.
0: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So... Um, here in the city of Calgary, uh, we have NMAX Corporation. Um, this is where we're home-based. We are um, we're owned by the city of Calgary. They are our single shareholder. Um, and we have three operating companies. So we have NMAX Power that I have the privilege of leading, and that's our transmission and distribution business here in the city of Calgary, the wires business. We have NMAX Energy, and that is our generation business and our retail business. So we generate power in the province of Alberta, and we also retail electricity throughout the province of Alberta. And then we also have Versant Power, which is our transmission and distribution business in the state of Maine.
1: That one feels interesting to me, because the rest kind of, quote unquote, makes sense for what that statement actually means. How long have you guys been in, and we won't dwell on this one too much, but how long have you guys no. been in Maine?
0: Yeah, since uh, 2020, actually, just at the beginning of COVID, we closed the transaction. Uh, okay. We purchased um, Amira, Maine, um and we you know, did that in an effort to certainly look at the different ways we could grow the dividend that we pay to our shareholder, the City of Calgary. And it's mm-hmm. proving to be a really great investment for us and for our shareholder.
1: Very And that's a standalone business. Obviously, there's, there's nothing transmitting from here to there. That's its own market and its own business. Just to be clear. Yeah, maybe state it. the, the hyper obvious. but
0: Yeah, you betcha. Actually, it's kind of neat. They're, they're, they, the system is actually connected, part of the system in Maine is connected to Canada, actually, through New Brunswick.
1: Interesting. Well, I grew up in Quebec and I know obviously Quebec being a huge hydroelectric uh, you know, hub and so much power moves back and forth across the border and, and being aware of that kind of at a high level. So this is city owned and the city, this is from way back. If I look at the history and kind of digging in, of course, I do a little professional creeping here before I get on these calls. <laughs> but this was set up like way back when as kind of Calgary set up its first electrical power plant, correct?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So actually it was the electricity system. Um, so, you know, since you know, it's been over a hundred years. Um, that the Calgary Electric System um, was owned and operated by the city. Um, and really what started as a way to power streetcars and streetlights has grown into the essential service that we know it today. And so we are the leading provider of electricity services um, across Alberta and in Maine.
1: Very interesting. I love it. I love the history. And it's just good. I do appreciate kind of laying the groundwork. So thinking about any type of a 100-year-old business and the amount <laughs> of uh, – and we'll touch on this because I really want to get into where things are headed. Obviously we electrification of everything. We've got crazy EV projections slash goals for the future with electricity seeming to be the backbone of it all going forward. How much of a balance of your business is keeping up on infrastructure and like constantly improving and adapting things that are maybe 30, 40, 50 years old to then really thinking about the future. So when you look at your role, kind of what's that balance or maybe, maybe are they one and the same? I'm treating them as separate, but maybe they're not. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, it is a balance um, and they are, they are distinct. Um, We certainly have infrastructure that requires um, upgrading. We invest, you know, this year we're investing just under $300 million in Calgary's um, electric system. Um, And, you know, the bulk of that is really about maintaining assets that are at end of life that are required to continue to operate in order to maintain the reliability that our customers have, have grown to really appreciate at the same time, we need to be readying ourselves for the future. So we have been investing in different types of technologies on our grid over the last decade, um, things that really make our grid, we call it smarter, uh, where they're able to where it's able to operate and, and maintain a certain level of reliability or improve reliability um, through the different technologies that are out there. And then you look at everything that's happening with energy transition, um, and the, our, all of our shared goals towards Net zero as society. Uh, There are things that obviously we can leverage our grid for in that space. So this is, you know, how do we enable um, rooftop solar for people in our community? How do we enable EV charging? All of those things require a really reliable and safe grid. And so we have to be thinking out long into the future as well, while balancing the investments we need to make in the existing infrastructure.
1: It's a really tricky balance and we've good thing we are just starting the podcast because we've got some runway ahead of us to kind of dive into this. When you think about end of life and you think about just the business model, everything, everything, everything is getting more expensive. And I'm not just talking about the last couple of years of inflation and we've all felt it. You go to the grocery store and you feel the impact immediately. But when you think about the large infrastructure, that's how is the business from, you know, and maybe it's a tough question, like where it was 30 or 40 years ago to just the cost of upkeep and things just becoming end of life. And I'm only assuming the cost to replace slash upgrade. the this big, heavy, expensive hardware is astronomically going going up in price. I'm just thinking about the balance of the sustainability around that like any business would be faced with, but you have a lot of stakeholders being the public almost at large here in Calgary.
0: Yeah, you got it. So I mean a big part of what we're trying to do now is figure out how do we maximize the inv- the existing investment in the grid? Um, grids are uh, typically built to um, be able to sustain a worst-case scenario because nobody particularly in a cold climate wants to be without power for very long, right? It we is an it essential for service, <laughs> for sure. You betcha. So uh, that said, um, you know, we are looking at different technologies of how could we enable the existing infrastructure to do more and minimize the need to invest. So for example, one of the things that we're doing today is we have an EV charging uh, pilot program. And this is where we have been looking at how can we perhaps influence charging behavior so that people are not plugging in their vehicles and adding load to the system at the very same time that our system is peaking in terms of the demand. When we, so when we all get over be, work and just plug in our thing. Yeah, Absolutely. Us. And you see this down in California now. They're looking at ways how can they shift perhaps when there's load on the system to be more matching when they have the sun shining and they have so much more uh, solar there. Um, And so they really would rather their system be peaking, you know, late afternoon instead of in the evening. So how do you start to influence, educate um, and change the behaviors that we all have in order to leverage the existing infrastructure and minimize the need to invest further? That's a big part of what we do today. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we've got a lot of opportunity through the different things that we're learning. Um, we've also done a pilot, I'm not sure if you've seen anything on it, just at, with, um, at Chinook Mall here in Calgary. Um, at, we've partnered with Cadillac Fairview, where we've been looking at the technologies that will help us enable two-way power flow on our system. So there are certain networks called a secondary network. We have one in downtown Calgary, for example, and a few other niche areas of the city, where because it's um, so reliable, the way it's been designed, you can't actually export um, power on, back onto the grid Okay. And so we have actually been successful, the first utility in Canada, through different partnerships um, at figuring out how could we safely export uh, solar, for example, back onto the grid in these networks. So that's going to be a, a, something that we can really rely on here in the city of Calgary, but also throughout North America.
1: Interesting. So thinking about changing changing buyer behavior, nothing, nothing will change behavior like a financial impact. <laughs> uh, my dad has an acreage in rural Ontario. And I was visiting the summer. He's like, well, can you wait and do your laundry at this time? Because it's different power load. I was like, what? Be honest. I live in a world of abundance. I go, I turn the switch, I push the button and it works. But it was really interesting. So is that something, and maybe that ties into how different it is province to province of what we have here in Alberta versus what would be in Ontario. Because that definitely got my attention. I'm like, this is kind of bullshit. I don't want to deal with this. But for them, it was just the the way of life and they made decisions accordingly. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, you got it. It depends on what your rate structures look like and what are the incentives. So I would say Alberta is behind in this space okay. uh, within Canada. Part of that's a matter of our, our structure. Uh, we, you know, we are, have a deregulated market, and so we don't have, you know, just government planning and uh, governing around all, all of our electricity like you'd have in a province like. BC or Alberta or sorry BC Saskatchewan or Manitoba for example, okay. um, and and part of that is because um, we need to invest in some different infrastructure as well. So for example, uh, you probably heard of smart meters. Mm-hmm. Um, we call we call it advanced metering infrastructure AMI. Uh, we're going we're in the process of upgrading all of the meters in the city of Calgary to to these AMI meters where we're going to be able to remotely read the meters. We're going to be able to provide customers and retail retailers a lot more information about our energy usage and then with that okay. information we'll be able to make different choices um similar we, to what right now the about. argument's
1: a little bit as a homeowner you don't necessarily have the data to make different choices of being able like oh That's is this going to impact me here or there in the world of like yeah if the data's all locked up somewhere and you can't get access to it it's all about what decisions do it. i make based on it right mm.
0: you got it so we need the right policy in place we need the right regulation in place you can make the investments that you need to make and put the information in customers' hands to, to make these better decisions, yeah.
1: Is that what you're seeing? I've, I've been in contact with a few businesses through from my marketing company reaching out and they were Ontario-based and they were all about B2B, but they were working with large um, manufacturers like large, large users of power and energy to help do auditing and to streamline and to get the best deals, and it felt like a very different business model simply because of the way that infrastructure was there. And the, like, obviously, as a homeowner, it impacts you, but as a business, it can be a make or break what your power consumption costs are. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, we see that even the shift for not just large businesses or small businesses, but even residential load, we saw that really shift around during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And now with people working from home a lot more, we've really seen a shift in our load profile um, in Calgary and in Alberta.
1: Versus the standard, we leave the house at seven thirty, and we get back at six, and then there's that that quiet time during the day. Where now it completely shifts.
0: Oh, you bet. And in it. fact, even before the pandemic, yeah. our, our system in Calgary was peaking twice a day. We were peaking near around noon as well as at that uh, time. So it's uh it's ever evolving. <laughs>
1: It's interesting because, you you know, you jump on your computer and your internet's maybe slow because it's six o'clock at night and everyone's home and they're firing up their computer. With power, though, you just don't see it or you don't feel it because you turn the switch and it's there. But that impact and that load, when you look at other jurisdictions, do you like obviously, you guys are are in Maine. Is is state by state as different as it is by province or province? Here, I'm always curious, especially when I'm you know this is a Calgary based podcast. But I love to look outside our borders to go, wow, who's doing it really well? Where can we learn from? You made the question. You made the statement about being slightly behind. When you look around North America, or even globally, where's the thought leadership around the evolution of of, of power and how we use it and how we get access to it? Where who inspires you? Maybe is a way to say it.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of really neat things going on out there. Um, And and yes, in the states, it is different um, in different areas of of the United States and state by state, similar to what we have here in Canada. Um, I think you are seeing, um, you know, with um, Biden's agenda, you're seeing some really strong policy um, to encourage uh, everything from um, you know, zero emission vehicles to mm-hmm. um, you know transmission and distribution reinforcements across the United States that's going that is going to enable uh, you know, a cleaner energy future. And I think that policy is really important. Um, in terms of state by state, I like I love watching California. It's a bit messy. But it's also really <laughs> it interesting. Is. But they're
1: often on the bleeding edge of a lot of things, right? Yeah,
0: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So that's quite an exciting place to watch. There's neat things happening out east, too, actually, in the state of New York, where you're really looking at how could you invest uh, differently as a utility and perhaps in what we would call non-traditional investments and still earn a return because it's for the greater good and benefits your customers. And, of course, okay. you've got to pay attention to Europe. It's, you know, it's interesting. They went bold around clean energy um, some time ago, and and you're watching now what they're doing, both from a technology perspective, which has been impressive, but also watching what's happening from affordability perspective. I was going to say, concerning. did that
1: backfire a little bit? I want to be careful not to be critici- yeah. criticized because everyone tries, and we're trying to move forward, and we're going fi- to fail forward. But sometimes when you do that at scale, energy abundance and energy scarcity. We're so fortunate here. I think sometimes it, it skews my filter because I it just works when I need it. But you travel mm-hmm. other parts, rolling blackouts, like there's some lot of there's craziness we just don't have to deal with here. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, you're right. I I remember being down in Cabo uh, on a friend's birthday week a couple of years ago, and there was a woman down there from California who'd come down because her electricity company let her know that she'd be on brownouts for five days. And so she went to a hotel (laughs) instead of having to deal with that. I mean, you don't think of that when you think about living in Canada or the United States, that that would be something that we're dealing with. But which is why I think, you know, going about this methodically and carefully is so important. and, And it's good to have the the big goals at the end, but we really do need to be realistic about the differences of our provinces as well. And I think, you know, in Alberta, we don't have the same access to to, um, water for hydro, for example. Um, And we have an abundance of natural gas. And I do think natural gas will be a big part of the equation uh, in the long run. We're going to need all the tools in the toolkit to get there. um, And we particularly are going to need natural gas for some time.
1: Right. Uh, When you think about that, I grew up in Quebec. We had abundance of hydroelectric power. Mm -hmm. and You kind of take that for granted. You don't take it for granted, but that's just the way it is because geographically that's what that province has access to. So when you think about power generation from just like coal, natural gas, all the ways we created here, and then getting into wind and solar, as an organization – I guess, how much do you look at all of them? Is it a process? Does the government still play a big role in terms of what gets supported or funded or maybe where the runway gets gets created versus the fact we have the demand now and that's going up every day?
0: Yeah, absolutely. We're always looking at the different makeup and what our, what our longer-term goals are and, and what our environmental goals are. So... Um, right now, we have 14% of our generation portfolio is wind. We own uh, okay. and operate two wind facilities in, the, in southern Alberta, um, and then we have natural gas fuel generation facilities. Um, and so you know, that's incredibly important because it's how we are able to backstop the variability of wind and solar generation in the province. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, you'd see on on some of these very high priced cold days um, or hot days in the last year. The days where you really need the generation, wind and solar hasn't always been available, so it's not quite as simple as everyone thinks.
1: So, fourteen percent wind. What do you, do you? Does solar play a, a factor in terms of? Is it, is it a percentage?
0: We currently don't own and operate any solar today. We enable okay. that through different programs, okay. um, but we don't own solar today. No, we're, we're constantly looking at you know where where what would be the best portfolio makeup for us. Um, I think you know a big opportunity is certainly greening up natural gas generation, right? And because it's going to be so important to continue to have these gas facilities, I think, in our province to backstop all of the different renewables and energy storage work that I think needs to happen. So how can we go ahead and make that greener? That's a big priority for us right now.
1: Which makes, which makes sense. And I've recently had a conversation with uh, a friend of mine who works in sustainability. We got into the big data of like, what is transformation versus transition and how like one word feels a little bit more smooth where the other one feels a little bit more charged but you've certainly got media and you've got a world out there that where sometimes marketing leads policy, which I think is very dangerous in terms of like mm-hmm. the time it takes to move these things. And you're right. The wind doesn't blow every day and the sun doesn't shine every, every day. When you think about something like using coal to generate, like, cause that one feels, you know, not to, not to bring up maybe a dirty <laughs> subject, but it feels a bit dirty. When I hear solar or when I hear solar wind, I'm okay. I feel hydroelectric. Mm-hmm. I feel good about it. I even think natural gas, but I think things like power generation from coal, that's such an easy one for the public to just go like, how can you not, turn your Mm -hmm. nose up at that, (laughs) you know, speaking almost from just a marketing or just the verbiage perspective. Mm -hmm. So as you guys as an organization, that must play a factor.
0: (laughs) Oh, definitely. And that's why you, you saw us move out of coal quite, quite quickly. We know we were the leading um, generator in that space to move, to move out of coal um, and have had the cleanest fleet here in the province for some time. And you're seeing all, you know, based on policy, good policy, Mm -hmm. you're seeing um, all of the other uh, generators follow suit and Alberta's going to be off coal, Seven years earlier than planned. Um, so, oh, nice! You know, okay, cool. That's great. Yeah, so I think you know the companies, energy companies, are incredibly innovative, and um, they you know they will continue to innovate to solve some of these problems ahead of us and take advantage of some opportunities.
1: Well, we our energy sector gets a bad rap sometimes, and I think that's completely misplaced. This is an incredibly mm-hmm. innovative place, <laughs> and, I, and the more people I talk to on you know your episode three hundred, I've had many conversations, and you say to somebody about even some of the big major oil and gas companies, you talk about innovation, they're like, we have been innovating for years. Like, why do people think we're not innovating? It's literally it's how fair. we live and breathe our days. I've I've had a few fiery guests who straighten me out, which I, which which I appreciate. <laughs> and now a message from one of our valued partners. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with International Justice Mission. Thank you to Philip Calvert and his team for the incredible work they do to bring awareness to the global problem of modern-day slavery. I'm proud to share with my audience that I have formalized my relationship with IGMs for becoming one of their Canadian ambassadors. Why? Because I believe we can end slavery in our lifetime, and I want to use my platform to be part of that mission. For many of you, hearing that statement may be a rallying cry. For the U.S., it may be a moment of, wait, what? Slavery? Is that even a thing? For me, up to 12 to 18 months ago, it was the second... I did not even understand the problem or that it existed at the scale that it does. Currently, there are over 40 million people affected by modern-day slavery. 40 million people. After a chance meeting with Philip Calvert, National Director of Development for IGM Canada, my eyes were open to the reality that poor people face the world over, a reality of violence that stops them from ever moving forward in their life. At first, this made me uncomfortable. Then it made me downright mad. But then it gave me hope. It is support of groups like IGM that will allow us to reach the goal of any slavery in our lifetime and give hope to people who may have none. I know this can be an uncomfortable conversation, and that is okay. That's why we're going to go on this journey together. Stay tuned as we host guests from IGM who will help educate us, as well as upcoming events that where we can meet the amazing people that make the work they do a reality. Please join me in supporting this incredible organization by visiting and donating to their cause at www.igm.ca. We will only succeed in ending slavery in our lifetime if we work together to make a difference. For you guys, what's the balance? Obviously, we live in a deregulated environment, but what role, what is the balance between what you do as an organization against the fact that we still have a provincial government that plays, that plays a, a factor in this, maybe up to federal? What's that balance or how's that juggling act for you guys as an organization dealing with what the government tends to be slow and takes time to do things? That's fine. We're not gonna, it's not a podcast about that. But fundamentally, there's still probably a pretty big juggling act that you guys need to balance based on the, how the role you play as being a part of the province.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're the only utility company in Alberta right now that's in the full value chain. So we have generation that is deregulated. We have the business that I lead, transmission distribution, that is regulated by the Alberta Utilities Commission, and then you have retail, which is is also um, you know unregul- It's regulated by from a rates perspective, but it's okay. um, it's open, so there's competitive. And, um, you know, so we need to look at all of that. I think, you know, we see our job as first of all, understanding what our customers want um, and what is in the best interest of our customers um, and then helping to educate policymakers um, and helping to partner with them and other energy companies and utilities to bring about great policy. Um, and, and legislation that regulators can then leverage and uh, we can all move forward together. So I think what you're going to see and uh, what I believe passionately is that we must figure out how to partner more together and partner in the maybe the not so typical ways from, from a utility company and a technology company, for example. And that is how we're going to uh, get ahead and, and achieve this all together. So uh, it's a, it is a balancing act, but it's a fun one.
1: <laughs> no, no dull days in your world. I'm quite sure. Is is collaboration part of the DNA, or is that you? you so, thank you. You beat me to my next question. I'm like, mm-hmm. are we willing to get at the table together to solve? Because you're right, the problems that we're tackling are bigger and bigger and bigger, and no group is going to solve them kind of solo. But there has always been a little bit about this is my sandbox. Get out. <laughs> just in business mm-hmm. in general, are you seeing more of a willingness to collaborate just by the sheer scope of what we're trying to solve?
0: You know, I am. And I think, you know, a lot of the funding opportunities that have come through Alberta Innovates and, um, you know, through federal programs like NRCan, um, that has encouraged a lot of collaboration as well. Some of the criteria they're looking at and where we can partner with Indigenous communities, for example, um, where we can partner with um, education institutions. Uh, We're doing some work with both the University of Alberta and the University of Calgary right now um, with where we're providing data. And they're helping us solve some of these bigger problems. And other, other utilities are doing the same. The utility industry has been pretty good at collaborating with, it, with each other across. Okay. Um, and one of the advantages we have in Alberta is we have several utilities in it. So you're really able to share. Um, but at the same time, I do think your, your not-so-typical partnership and collaboration is also key to some of the things we're doing um, right now. And you're seeing more of it, for sure.
1: Interesting, which to me, it, it only makes sense, but it doesn't, what happens, what actually happens behind closed doors and, you know, the amount mm-hmm. of time it takes, but yet the demand for change, I'm assuming like everywhere, like every business, the demand to change is accelerating oh, absolutely. beyond the capability to keep up, to keep up with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for, for, for the division or the, the, the for MREX power specifically, how big's your team? Like just put it into context, like we all yeah, know sure. it and it becomes synonymous with just our power, but what's the kind of makeup look like of the organization?
0: Yeah, for sure. It's a really special team. So we've got about 900 employees in NMax power. Uh, About half of those employees, just over half, are out in the field. So you'd see them driving around the city. They're either reading meters or they're working on... Um, maintenance projects in your neighborhood or downtown Calgary. You see a lot of work these days underground where our system Mm -hmm. is. And unfortunately, we're those people who have to block some of the streets off from time to time in order to maintain our infrastructure (laughs) and keep up our reliability. So be patient with us and please be safe when you're driving around those folks. Um, And then we have, you know, our, our our planners, we have, you know, a lot of obviously incredibly technically talented people, engineers, Um, and we will operate the system as well. So we have control center operators who are coordinating um, with the provincial operator um, on a 24-7 basis. So a really, really dynamic team. And then, you know, some great people looking ahead at innovation and what do we need to be doing differently than we do today. Well, when you think
1: about your business, like so many businesses, you're, you're dealing with making sure everything's operational today, you're planning for the future, but then you also have weather events and kind of special realities that I'm sure that there's always somebody has got their eye on the weather screen of like, what's coming down the pipe and how is that going to impact us from like a, an early season snow and all the branches still have their leaves to a minus 35 day and all the things that could, I do have to say, I will give you guys compliments. I lived in Quebec for a long time and the power going out was a regular affair. <laughs> the summer, there'd be a thunderstorm power would go out. The winter, there'd be an ice storm in the power would. Go out. You know, I lived in the rural community, so everyone had a generator. I can count on one hand the amount of times my power's gone out here, living in Calgary. So I don't know if there's a compliment in there somewhere, but I'm going to throw it out anyways. I was, someone's like, "Oh, do you have a generator?" I was like, <laughs> I, I, "I live in Alberta; the power doesn't really go out for me." But I, maybe because I'm very fortunate that I live in the city, that I don't uh, subscribe to that. But I do remember being a regular because you're a kid; the power going out was a big deal when you were six or seven. It kind of sticks in my it sticks in my mind.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. And yeah, we do have an incredibly reliable system through years of great planning and and prudent investment. And uh, we also have a lot of uh, our lines are underground and that's that's quite advantageous. It can be more expensive to go underground, but there is a time and place where that's prudent. And so a lot of our systems underground. So thank you for that.
1: Yeah, no, 100%. I thought thought I'd throw it out there. It was legit. It's an experience I had. (laughs) I want to get into a little bit kind of your own journey and your career and evolution, but I do want to circle back on just kind of the EV question or the EV Mm -hmm. reality. I was looking at, I was on, so I've read some reports that you guys put out just around the sheer number that you guys are projecting and that alone, because it feels like we're running so fast that that being the kind of magic answer and maybe that is or isn't, I don't know. I think there's still yet to be determined on maybe the long-term impact on that, but that alone on power generation, if we have these 300,000 EVs by 2030, If you just think about that one item shifting, that alone to me could break the back if it if it actually accelerated or happened that way. Is that you guys how you look at it? Is that one of the main things that maybe is on your radar because it seems like it's accelerating exponentially in terms of amount of units in the field?
0: Definitely accelerating exponentially, and even though we've been a little bit slow to the game in Alberta, I think we've got around three thousand EVs on Calgary roads today. Mm-hmm. We do forecast that by twenty thirty five, that number could climb to two hundred thousand, for example. Okay, mm-hmm. and a big part of that's tied to what you're seeing happening around policy um, and manufacturing, right? So if you can't if you can't purchase a combustion internal combustion engine um, by twenty thirty five, you're going to really start to see a shift. Um, I think that's why we've been studying electric vehicle, vehicle adoption and charging behavior so we can well, figure in California, out what, what's their year what's when gonna, they're, it's really
1: oh, quick, like their timeline yeah. is super short around that, right?
0: Mm. 100%. That said, I mean, it's great to make those statements and those goals, but then if you're also the next day asking people to conserve power, Uh, So you're not having to, to shut people off. How practical (laughs) You told me to buy the
1: CV. Now you tell me I can't charge it. Like, come on, seriously, I'm only going to buy the, play that game with you for so long and I'm going to, there's going to be an upheaval.
0: (laughs) Right. So, you know, we've got, you know, we've got federal goals, we've got policy and then there's, you know, what's actually going to happen. So I think, you know, we're all trying to, you know, figure out how do we move through this? How do we make sure that we're investing in the right place? We're not over-investing. Um, and that we understand as best we can so we can, we can maximize the investments that we've already made. For Calgarians, um, you know, the other thing we're watching, of course, is where will people charge? You know, is it better to charge at work? Is it better to charge at home? And uh, what's happening with our system peak? So, you know, this is an evolution. We're gonna, we keep monitoring it. We keep partnering with our customers and um, certain experts out there and people who've gone before us and, and learn from them. Um, I'm confident we're going to stay ahead of it in the city of Calgary based on our projections. There'll be some places we're going to need to, you know, increase the capacity in your local neighborhood if you and your all of your neighbors start charging um, right. around the same time. But, um, you know, that's our job. We have engineers who are constantly looking at planning the system. Um, and making sure we're optimizing where we invest, so we'll continue well, and to do that.
1: It's hard. We're predicting a future that hasn't happened yet, right? <laughs> true, 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 true. Crystal ball.
0: Uh, well, when let's you say- see if those EVs are even available. You know, in that same <laughs> time frame now. That's the other thing, right, with supply chain issues. So. Um, all of it's fluid and we, wor- we just need to continue. <laughs> yes, to it watch is. The it. world
1: as we know it. When it comes yeah. to just the nuts and bolts of, of, of beeping up the infrastructure, so I live in Marta Loop, South Calgary. If all of a sudden all my neighbors decide to buy EVs and we all mm-hmm. decide to start charging them at 545 when we get home mm-hmm. or whatever the case may be, does that mean more power lines? Does that mean like just bigger? Like that's a very much a hardware infrastructure. Like there's no way to shortcut that. You've got to put in more gear. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you bet. So there's two places where the system will get will get taxed, so to speak, um, if you're all charging at the same time on the Mm -hmm. same what I call feeder or line into your into your neighborhood. So it's the cable itself that's running into, um, you know, down your back alley um, Mm -hmm. and feeding all of your homes. That's where there's going to be a higher level of load that that cable might need to be bigger, have higher capacity for you or the line that's um, above ground. Um, And then at some point, it could be the transformer that's feeding, you know, that whole area that might actually need to be in, in, you know, the capacity might need to be increased. But this is where some other neat things come into play. You know, the more you have um, solar on rooftops um, and the more that you can look at storage and we've got some neat pilots going on in that space. If I can get you to store some of your energy and then and the battery sits in your garage, for example, and then you're leveraging that when you want to charge your EV. Uh, I might not need to in invest in mm. increasing the capacity of that cable. So we're playing around with some of that as well. Again, looking at what is the lowest cost option for
1: customers in and the And then Walmart. incentivizing. Well, you just you described bet. my neighbor. He's got the solar on the roof. He's got the Tesla in mm-hmm. the garage. He's got there the Tesla go. battery on the wall. He's got one in his house. So very much, you just described my neighbor, Ed, and <laughs> uh, and, the, and what he's done there. So I, get to, I kind of get a ringside seat, so I have to chat with him. Is it efficient? Is it working? And, right. You know, from an incentivization perspective, he did that because he believed in it and it was part of mm-hmm. something driving him. But when you look at, you know, and then I sit there and go, oh, what's the, what's the math on this head? And we yes. have that debate and very much is a personal choice. The math doesn't always hold together. It's not that it's exponentially more expensive, but that was something he did because that was important to him. We get into really doing it from a values perspective. For sure. Mass adoption often comes from a dollar you dollars you're going to influence me in that direction from a what's my return and can i get this back in five years or whatever the case the case may be
0: yeah i mean total cost of ownership right i think is going yep. to be the thing that those of us who have not yet made the leap and are driving an electric vehicle that it's <laughs> going to come down to that at some point you're going to say oh it's, this will actually be cheaper for me to use electricity yeah. pay for the ev instead of filling up a vehicle with with uh gasoline and uh, it, you know anyway. that that's that's that time is coming, if not there, depending on what vehicle you want to buy.
1: Are you seeing a big move even with wind and solar and maybe even solar more so? That the 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 technology, the improvement, is is it exponential? Are we going on that kind of Moore's law of every year it gets exponentially better, faster, more efficient, and also more cost effective? Has that kind of topped out or are we still accelerating from tech is improving?
0: Mm-hmm. I would say tech's improving. I wouldn't say from a cost perspective it's exponentially decreasing, but it is okay. decreasing. Um, certainly, have seen that in solar, particularly large scale solar. Um, and I think, yeah, when you look at the ele- just battery technology alone, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of us are waiting for that, you know, that battery that's going to be able to get you between here and Vancouver, right, without having to stop. So, yes, range.
1: Uh, Was it range I, yeah. anxiety? Range anxiety yeah, is a real thing. <laughs> yeah, that, that's
0: exactly right. So, yeah, it is. It's amazing how quickly it's changing. Um, which is why we got to stay on top of it. And you're right; a lot of people who are who are investing and doing, um, you know, some of these more unique things with EVs and solar at their homes today, and they're really interested in it. They're passionate about the envi- environment and climate. But it will be financial incentives that drive the majority of people. And so uh, we,
1: you know, we'll see we'll see how that progresses. I'm thankful for those early adopters because they can debug it and test it out. And when I'm That's, ready, I'm and really th- grateful th- yeah, for that. <laughs> very much so. I'm sure you are. Uh, switching a little bit of gears if someone's if they've if they've listened to us this far we've kind of gone down the road of the <laughs> nmax and everything but I want to chat a little bit about even kind of the context in which I first met met you technically you were on stage I was in the audience so <laughs> in, in that environment I think we met online not long after that but the Calgary influential women in business world I was really blown away I loved your speech I loved you shared Thank the you. role your family played your, your the, the people that had been there to support you in your journey so I, I wanted to just touch on it a little bit and obviously you you were nominated and you, and you were awarded that that award for the role you played Play. Talk to me a little bit about being a woman in business, just being a person in business. I don't even want to call it out that way, but that was the context in which that award was given. Just talk to me a little bit about your journey. And of course, I'm creeping on your LinkedIn and you've done a lot of different things and kind of ended up at this position where you are now, which is amazing. So maybe just share a little bit about that journey yourself and some of the takeaways and kind of fun lessons learned. Sure. Well, I
0: could go to a lot of places with this, but uh, yeah, it was I was a really left, special night. I left you right? some runway. <laughs> Well, you know, I'm very passionate about leading people and leading organizations. I always have been. As I was a kid, you know, I was that kid that, you know, parents would come to the house and knock on the door and and ask my mom, like, why does my daughter need to bring $5 to your house? And I would have organized some sort of circus or something in the backyard. And I was constantly (laughs) doing things like that. I don't know why, but it's just how I was. So I I like to think, and I heard somebody share it once, I, I like to think of leadership as causing something to happen that otherwise wouldn't. Um, I think I like that, that in a lot of our organizations and in our lives that, you know, a lot of it goes on. And, you know, let's be clear, my team, they know how to run a power system. They know how to restore through a flood or a storm. They're incredible people. Um, but there's certain things that wouldn't happen if if we didn't have leadership. And so I like to try to think about what are those things you want to influence and bring to life that will help your organization or your city or your charity Uh, Meet its objectives and I and when I say objectives, I mean more like game-changing results that really excites me Um, Being able to leave something better than you found it is kind of what inspires me What keeps me going and so that's what it's all about for me and I love doing that with people and just learning and and Experiencing different people and the approach that they take to things So that's what makes me tick and uh, I get to do that every day in the job that I'm in
1: it causing something to happen that otherwise wouldn't you gave me a new leadership quote that I love. I really, really like that one. Um, thinking about this opportunity that you have now going from the vice president role and moving your way up to the president. Was that a big factor for you? And this is a bit of a loaded question. It's my current employer. Tara. What else do you want me to say? Um, where you saw that there was that opportunity? Cause you don't always get to create that level of change. Sometimes you get to steward. Sometimes you get to operate. Mm -hmm. But what you talked about is there needs to be a little bit of latitude there. There needs to be a little bit of freedom. And sometimes with a big utility, might be easy to think that those reins, the the guardrails might be a little narrower than one one might want.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, and I I did talk about it um, earlier this year, the night we'd met. Um, I think that sponsorship is just so important. And I've been really fortunate to have incredible sponsors in my career. You know, people who will speak up for you throw your name in the hat when you aren't in the room. Um, Those really are career difference makers. Um, You know, my decision to leave my consulting practice and come to NMAX was a result of one of those sponsors in my life. Who really encouraged me to come and and see where it went and you know I realized later he had a vision for what I might do there and it was to take his job um, but I didn't think about that necessarily when I, <laughs> I like his style already <laughs> yeah it was uh you know so I didn't quite see it that wasn't necessarily my intention but yep. you know through saying yes a lot through you know a lot of hard work mm. And through partnering with great people, uh, I've just had the opportunity to do some some great things in the organization. And, and um, yeah, I've been very fortunate to have the role that I have. I love being able to come in and do what I do every day with the people we have. And and for our city, it's really cool to work in an organization where you just can walk out and not only just see your team working, but see the people that you're serving day in and day out. So it's pretty it's, it's cool. It's
1: very almost one-to-one, right? As close as you might get it sometimes is. in a large organization. How hard was yeah, it to... Absolutely. For those of us that maybe are considered unemployable, meaning myself, (laughs) uh, who's worked for myself for many years, 13 years running your own consulting practice, how hard was that decision to leave doing, leading your own team and doing your own thing to go into a big organization that uh, there might've been, there might've been some soul searching, I might think, but that's me.
0: Yeah, it was actually five and a half years that I was doing my, leading my own consulting practice oh, okay, cool. before I came in. I had been in working for utilities before. Um, yes, I see that. You know what? I knew that. Um, I knew that I would go back to leading in an organization one day. Um, I just, um, I was a really neat time to be in the consulting practice and and be able to work with a lot of incredibly large and. Um, organizations that were doing well, Yeah, no, your, your client
1: list is an impressive kind of who's who list i won't read it out but yeah i'm no, again, they, i'm creeping on your I, linkedin right now i it's feel very
0: fortunate impressive. to have worked with many of them they gave me some great opportunities but you know what you're not the decision maker you're an advisor yeah, totally. um and you know you don't actually get to build a team around you the same way so i had a decision to make do i build out a, a practice um or do i go back into the corporate world and i i always felt that i would and um had the opportunity to go learn something different, um, more in the financial side of things, which I wasn't as experienced right. with at the time. And you know, the, that has, that has worked out really well. Um, I think that, uh, I think anytime you get to be part of something bigger, like really part of something bigger, that's just incredibly rewarding and fulfilling. And, and that's what we get to do at Maths.
1: That's very cool from a staffing and kind of a growth and we, so you, can't, you can't read anything about recruitment or about building a team without the word purpose coming out there. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the optics and the impact that you guys get to have from your traditional way you've always done business to like adding alternative and back to transition and transformation. From a hiring and recruiting perspective, is that a drawing card? Like are you guys, is it a challenge to recruit because you are a big utility or is it because the depth and the breadth of the work you do? Has that been, a, is that, does that help in the world? Like it's always, com- good talent's always competitive, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, certainly, I think, you know, NMAX has a, a fairly strong brand. And, um, you know, people, um, we don't have high attrition rates, actually. People really um, are bought in and enjoy working for NMAX. And I'd say that it's an attractive employer for many people. Um, I think that, you know, we're, our purpose matters. And we're seeing that more and more with people uh, when they're looking at joining an organization or staying in an organization. They want to be part of something bigger and they want to be aligned from a values perspective with what you're all about. And so I always like to say to my team, how lucky are we? I mean, our purpose is to connect Calgarians to clean and affordable electricity. Um, It's an essential service. And we never felt that more than we did, say, during the pandemic even. Right. Everyone needed their Internet to work at home. So, yes, we (laughs) do. Yes, we do. It's I just yeah, I think I get the warm and fuzzies from it. And I think a lot of people do. So I feel very fortunate to be that connected into a bigger purpose. And I think that resonates for a lot of our employees and the people that, we're, that are looking at coming to work with us.
1: You don't have to spend a lot of time explaining the impact you have when you when everything goes well, right? <laughs> <It's>, it is, <laughs> That's It is, it is yeah. right there. And it'll be better and different a year from now than it is today. And I hate to ask this, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Being a female business leader, has that ever been a factor? Has that ever held you back? Has it brought you forward? And I'm okay for you to say, mm-hmm. no, it hasn't. Cause I have, I sometimes I ask that question mm-hmm. and it's more based on, I think what society puts out there, but it's also a, a real experience for a lot of people. And I know some people that knew I was having you on. So if I didn't ask around that, they would probably give me a hard <laughs> time afterwards, but for yourself, has that been a factor? Has it not been a factor? Just, I'd love to get your point of view on it. Let's leave it that way. Mm. Yeah,
0: you know, I I don't know. I think there's at times, uh, yes and no. Um, You know, I certainly, there's not a lot of females in operational roles. And I don't even think I realized that until people, you know, started coming up to me and and talking about how neat it was that I was, you know, an executive in an operational type business. Um, I've just kind of, you know, been focused on doing something interesting. You were too busy doing your thing. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, so I think at the same time, sure. I think there are times where it's a little bit harder to perhaps be in the room. Um, it's you, I think women are still judged differently for how we speak up. I'm constantly trying and I'm still learning and I've made mistakes um, but I'm constantly trying to figure out that balance between projecting confidence and, and courage with humility. And I think that's really tough um, as a female because you, you're thinking that, you know, you want to show that you are credible. You want to show that you're informed in, and you're experienced uh, and you deserve to be at the table or deserve to be part of making the decisions. Um, but with that, I think often we, women can be misjudged and to not be humble at the same time. And so it is quite a balance that I think that, Men don't necessarily have to balance. They have to balance other things though, too. I mean, we're all human and we're all balancing different things. So. It's
1: messy. It's messy either way, but I appreciate the, the dynamic around, you know, we are different and there are different situations and there are weird parameters of the way it's been and old beliefs and values. And as I say, nothing will, will misalign faster than a values, you know, values uh, misalignment. Mm-hmm. Uh, are we getting better? Is it, is it getting better in kind of your own journey and your experience? We're certainly talking about it a lot more, which to me is least a step, obviously a step in the right direction.
0: Oh, I think so. I mean, I think and beyond just gender, I think diversity, we're all learning to appreciate how much diversity is a difference maker, whether that's, you know, race, different backgrounds, experience, age. Um, And I think that that's really powerful. I think even for myself as a leader, I don't know that I always embraced diversity of thought the way I should have and could have, or even, you know, before I was a parent versus being a parent. And so I think just inclusive leadership is so important and it benefits Um, organizations, shareholders, and society in such a big way. And so I do think we're talking about the right things. I think for females, and it's it's an interesting debate, and I had some good ones with my team at the time when I was all men and me sitting there at the VP table, um, and around the Me Too movement. I think that really shifted a lot of things for women. I think it was quite empowering for women to start speaking up. And I I believe we started having conversations that we perhaps hadn't been having um, because of that. So I think that was a change that was the moment of change
1: the reality is it needs to get uncomfortable for sometimes for us to notice just like boom. Whoa. Okay. We need to deal with this. And sometimes there has to be that awkward moment in the room where you go, Whoa, okay, wait a second. And then create space for something different to come up. I love what you said about diversity of thought at the foundation of so much of it to be competitive in the world that we live in with so much change and so much pressure from everywhere. You need to have that. If you don't, it's a, it's going to create a blind spot and that blind spot will kill you as a business. It absolutely will. Like to me, it's a, it's a core competency that we all need to have in whatever version that's relevant to to our businesses. Uh, thoughts advice you know there's a classic oh what would you tell your younger self but people listening from a leadership perspective that are growing as managers and people leaders and they're moving in their careers that way thoughts are things that you would share that uh you know in your in your your years of being on the journey anything that's kind of come up for you that's like oh I wish I would have known that sooner or yeah I knew that and it actually has been 100% true
0: (laughs) well you know you said something actually Tyler that it's part of a quote that I really like from Seth Godin and uh He says, if you're not uncomfortable in your work as a leader, it's almost certain you're not reaching your potential as a leader. And I really like that. And I try to live into that um, every day. And I think that is how you really grow and uh, maintain a growth mindset um, and don't become stagnant. Um, I also think, you know, as females or anyone who's not feeling confident, whatever, whatever that might be from. Tell yourself you can. Um, don't feel you need to have everything checked off. Uh, you know, if you're a learner, if you go in and surround yourself with the right people and don't feel you need to do it all, um, and that's really what leadership is all about. <laughs> it's not a one-person show. Um, you know, challenge yourself, go in, take on the big assignment, and you'll be amazed at what you can do um, and who sees it and what other opportunities come from that. So. Uh, those That would be the things that are on my mind. I think often we limit ourselves, and by just saying yes and going in and figuring out how will you make it happen instead of can you make it happen
1: uh, can really change somebody's career. Oh, so much. I completely agree. I'm uncomfortable. I know things are about to get good. Um, we joked <laughs> about this offline, but imposter syndrome has yeah. that been a factor for you? It certainly, has been a factor for me since we're, we're, we're since we're airing of 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 of, of realities <laughs> here. Has that been a factor as part of your career? Because it's so easy to look at a senior leader and go, "Oh, they they've got it all figured out," and we, you know that's sometimes we do that to people, and they never asked us to do that to them. To be clear,
0: yeah, 100. percent My whole life, for sure, absolutely. <laughs> I, I still feel honesty. that way, you know. Um, you know, you can still sometimes go into the, a board that you've been in front of for years. You can still go in and feel like, oh, do I deserve to be here? You know, am I showing? It? Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. I recently had the opportunity to meet a ton of amazing uh, senior leaders from all over the world down in Boston at a program I was doing. And it was interesting a few a week or two in after you start to get to know each other a bit. Uh, have a few drinks, perhaps, you start to admit that you all went in feeling that way. And here, these people are like CEOs and senior executives of these massive global uh, companies, and they too are feeling it. And then you realize you each have something to bring to the table. You don't necessarily bring the same things, and you learn from each other. So that was a big eye-opener for me to know that, hey, even these amazing, accomplished people feel this sometimes, and uh, we just have to go in and enjoy learning from each other and, and not get too you know, into ourselves, I guess.
1: I love that story. I remember I was joining an executive group and we had a speaker and she said, Hey, just a show of hands quickly, who's worried that people might find out they're not as smart as everyone thinks they are. And like three quarters of the room put up their hand. It was the first moment I was young in business and I was kind of in a room that I felt like I had no business being in just by, by default. And I looked around and it was that moment of like, Oh wow. Holy really. Okay. So that was my <laughs> kind of TSM turning point. If you were when I went, Oh, this is a real thing. And I spent then spent the next 20 years figuring out what it meant and what it meant to me. And I'm still figuring it out. Cause that's part of the journey. But yeah, Yes, well, I think it's you, good to have a little bit, right?
0: It's humility. Uh, um, yeah, but at yes, the same time, you, you said, don't want humility. it to get into your, you don't want it to get in your way or hold you back either. So if it it's stops
1: you from acting, that's when it becomes a problem. You, you bet. Know, it's that myth of just because I act doesn't mean I was fully confident, but I just said yes. And I figured it out. Well, I think <laughs> that's people a very do all um, the time. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. hundred percent. Janice, so nice to have you come on. What a fantastic mm-hmm. conversation for episode 300. I really appreciate your time, the work you do and just who you are and how willing you were to just be honest and have a good conversation with me. It's it's, if you haven't picked it up, it's one of my favorite things to so thank you so much for coming on today thanks for having me it was great absolute pleasure